Hello to all my fellow 101 History Podcast listeners out there. Hard to believe today is the last day of November. And what do you know, tomorrow is the first day of December. That, to me, just seems so hard to believe. I don't know where all this time has gone. But one thing I do know is that we have uh, made a lot of strides per this uh, book topic series that we're currently on, the being the other side of the night, the Carpathia, the Californian, and the night the Titanic was lost by Daniel Allen Butler. As a matter of fact, it uh, turns out that this book that Daniel Allen Butler wrote uh, was published 13 years ago in 2009. And the irony to uh, the time in which he published that this book, 2009 also marked the same year that the last survivor of the Titanic died. I clearly remember it uh, well in terms of hearing about it on the news and listening to, um, to the story behind the last uh, Titanic survivor whom died. Her name was Melvina Dean, and she was in her um, late 90s. Or if she wasn't in her late 90s, she was close to right about 100 years old. But she was only a couple of months old uh, when the ship sank. And the fact that she lived um, for as long as she did, um, you know, is one, is remarkable. But two, uh, being the last survivor of that um, tragic uh, night of uh, April 15th, 1912, really uh, was a day in her um, for her life that uh, she would never forget. In other words, it's kind of like, you know, December 7th of 1941, Pearl Harbor, a, a day of uh, infamy. And whereas with Titanic sinking on the night of April 15th, 1912, uh, a night of infamy that would uh, never be forgotten by those whom survived. But uh, nonetheless, it is hard to believe that it was 13 years ago that, number one, this book that we are currently discussing was written, or rather, I should say, published, and knowing that 1909, I mean, 2009, pardon me, marked the same year in which uh, Titanic's last living survivor uh, died. The other irony uh, to it is that I have an old newspaper article from years back when uh, the ship was first discovered, that is, her boilers were by Dr. Ballard and his crew. It was a newspaper article about a, um, a gentleman named uh, Frank Axe, who died back in the early 90s, uh, probably about 30 years ago. He was in his early 80s when he passed, but I, I want to say he was close to about a year old when the ship went down. But it turns out that he and his uh, mother were um, eventually uh, reunited. I mean, I find it very hard to believe that a, you know, a child only a year old could have gotten separated from his uh, mother, but you know, sadly it did happen, and all in the midst of all that chaos. But nonetheless, uh, Frank Axe and his mother were reunited. I know that that had to have been a um, a wonderful feeling for um, his mother. Uh, I would have to go back and um, reread the article to uh, find out if any other uh, family members uh, survived or lost their lives. But uh, nonetheless, uh, by the time he passed away, there were only about eight survivors uh, left. So that should tell us something right there that as time has gone along, uh, yes, there were 705 people who survived, but some died not long after the sinking, uh, especially uh, Colonel Archibald Gracie, who died in December of 1912. Uh, he died from um, 
complications he had um, suffered in the aftermath of the ship going down. Uh, he, he survived, but there, but yet we should be reminded that those, that there were those whom, um, whom didn't live much longer uh, following the Titanic sinking uh, for various uh, personal reasons. Uh, there were those whom um, lived well into the 1960s, uh, just around 50 years after the ship sank. So many survivors had all kinds of stories to tell, but it is fair to say that their stories um, must not be forgotten. And if you want to learn more about Titanic survivors who were who survived and lived to tell their stories, uh, one in particular I mentioned from a previous uh, podcast segment was um, her name was uh, Eva Hart, or some might say Ava Hart, spelled E-V-A. Uh, she was the one whose um, father uh, perished on on the tragedy. She and her mother got into a lifeboat, but her uh, father uh, never was able to sadly make it onto one. Uh, Ava Hart died uh, back in 1996. She was 90 years old. She had never married. Uh, she was an only child. But she has by far some of the best um, recollections of what she witnessed on the night of April 15, 1912, as uh, Titanic had split into two. She was only about seven years old, but the fact that that at the time, being age seven and could uh, recall all of that was pretty remarkable. So if you go on to YouTube or and type in her name, um, you can find uh, some uh, videos on her um, story recollections. But anyways, uh, for this uh, podcast segment episode of uh, To the Other Side of the Night, we're going to uh, learn about... Um, we're going to learn about uh, Captain Stanley Lord's behavior, and that really needs to be discussed because, um, to me, it represents something that I never would have thought a hundred some years ago that people would have demonstrated. But then, uh, after having read the book, I had to remind myself that, well, Kirk, mankind has uh, shown um, examples of uh, bad behavior in it including improper decision-making since the beginning of time. Sometimes, though, when I think of improper decision-making from centuries ago, or, or let alone maybe a hundred years ago, it would be easy to assume that the uh, negative outcome would have only impacted a couple of people. But in the aftermath of Titanic sinking, I had to be reminded that uh, Captain Stanley Lord's uh, decision-making impacted hundreds to thousands of innocent people's lives. So anyways, our uh, first lead-off question for this um, podcast segment episode will be the following. Was time itself to anyone's advantage come the evening of April 14th to the 15th of 1912? Uh, the answer is no. Time was not, wasn't uh, to any one ship's advantage whom sought to come to the aid of the sinking uh, Titanic. Given that not all her passengers and crew whom hadn't got on a lifeboat could have been assured that they would have been uh, saved. Yes, Carpathia was coming at coming at uh, full speed. I mean, yes, her average top speed was 14 knots, but she had obviously modified... Um, some matters, uh, Captain Rostron and his crew had modified matters to where they um, cut off the heat in, um, in other places, most notably passengers' rooms, to where they could use that heat uh, for um, 
for purposes that would benefit the boilers in helping um, pick up the speed to where it would go would have gone past uh, the 14 knot max. So even with um, Carpathia being one of the first to respond, even Captain Rostron knew that he was on borrowed time, but he still went all out and made the most heroic efforts there were. Yes, he felt bad knowing that you know he couldn't have saved other survivors whom sadly perished in the frigid waters of the North Atlantic, but at least Carpathia, Carpathia's captain and crew did come to the aid of the 705 whom did survive. One myth that has persisted for some time pertained to Californians' state of alertness, which we can all agree wasn't strong, the myth, however, that, um, that we're going to talk about here emphasized around the immediate response of Californians' crew and the aftermath following the mystery ship, a.k.a. Titanic, having launched, or rather I should, rather I should say, shot white rockets into the sky, thus allowing Californian enough time to come to Titanic's rescue. Yes, we can all agree that you know, Titanic shot eight rockets total. And I'll say it now, and I'm going to say it again here soon, when we talk about this, because uh, we are going to talk about a what-if hypothetical scenario that I wished had happened, but it didn't. But it, nonetheless, it will be important to, to discuss. We do have to keep in mind that Titanic's first white rocket was launched at 12.50 a.m. on April the 15th, being 10 minutes to 1 a.m., of course, she went on to launch eight white rockets total out of 12 at her disposal, so that should tell us right there that two-thirds of the rockets were used, 67%. Okay, so Titanic has launched uh, multiple rockets into the sky, which you know ought to give the Californian crew enough time to come to um, what we would have hoped for um, an eventual rescue. Californian officers on duty after midnight were vigilant, and they confirmed multiple sightings, at least three. I mean, three reports of, of uh, rockets. So they've confirmed uh, sightings to good old Captain Stanley Lord, who chose instead to do the opposite, pursue no action. The myth here can result in a half-truth for Californians in activity. Why a half-truth? The half-truth pertains to giving uh, credit to Californians' uh, officers, being that of um, Second Officer Herbert Stone, Third Officer Victor uh, Groves, uh, the Apprentice Officer uh, being that of uh, Mr. Gibson, including the uh, chief uh, officer, uh, George Stewart. The only mistake that they, that they failed to uh, seize upon was uh, not having alerted the wireless operator, Mr. Cyril Evans. Had they done that, I can only imagine what modifications would have taken place. That was the missing link right there. But can I still give the Californian some credit for at least making observations? Yes, 
but who do you give the credit to? The officers who were on duty, including the apprentice officer and the chief, the chief executive, or no, I wouldn't say the CEO, but the chief officer. Of course, when I think of chief officer, that you know he's at the top. Um, but those fellows, in my opinion, do deserve some recognition for at least making the efforts to observe what was out on the horizon, to go left and right to uh, say to Captain Lord, look, something's not right out there with that mystery ship, only to hear Captain Lord say, what are the rockets like? Are they uh, white rockets or company rockets? But sadly, uh, the officer on duty, uh, being that of uh, Herbert uh, Stone, well, both of them, rather, Herbert Stone and Victor Groves, even the apprentice officer, we're going to learn more later on, but uh, Captain Lord really frowned upon those guys. One reason I can tell you why is because they were at the lower tier of the uh, crew status in terms of officer rank to where he knew that their uh, responsibilities, well, yes, they had responsibilities, but he also knew that he didn't, that they didn't come anywhere close to overpowering Captain Lord himself in terms of uh, critical decision making. You know, just because you're a captain, yes, it, it is important to have that distinction or title, but even captains themselves need to listen to their crew. Just because the crew is below them, it doesn't mean that the crew doesn't know anything. In order to become a captain, by being an officer below, you have to um, have good mentors from above. And I'm beginning to wonder if Stanley Lord is not a good mentor. We'll have to find out more here soon. So, yes, the half-truth is that Californians' officers on duty tried in vain to, ward, to warn Captain Lord of what they saw wasn't right. The other half-truth, sadly, is that Captain Lord chose um, no action, which, which explains why Californian for many of years, based upon what the historians know, have wanted to um, blame her all out for inactivity. But going forward, we need to be reminded that if we are going to blame anybody on the Californian, it must be solely with Captain Stanley Lord. So, it to me, this is a case of half-truth. The only way it could be a full truth where we could fully blame the Californian is if her officers on duty never did anything whatsoever. And there for a long time, I always thought that that nobody on the Californian didn't uh, make any attempts to uh, recognize what was going on out on the horizon. But after having read this book, I came to the realization that, well, that yes, in fact, there were uh, those uh, officers on duty whom tried desperately in vain to make every good faith effort there was in warning their captain of the dire situation ahead. If I were one of those officers, one thing I would have just done is I would have awoken Cyril Evans without even bothering Captain Lord about it, and there could have been a whole different ball game. So yes, at 12.50 a.m. of April 15, 1912, Titanic fired its first distress, a.k.a. White Rocket. But something to be reminded of. When one fires off a rocket, can it automatically set off an alarm to, sh to a ship nearby? 
like Californian. Well, it's one thing for a rocket to be uh, launched into the um, sky. If a rocket does get launched off, yes, it can um, spark uh, curiosity from a ship uh, in the distance. Not everybody might take hint of it right away. But come 1 a.m., 10 minutes later, a second distress rocket was fired into the sky. The second rocket was enough to spark concern. And here we get to our what-if scenario now, folks. Let's pay careful attention. The second rocket would have been enough to spark concerns that would have prompted 2nd Officer Herbert Stone to notify Captain Stanley Lord about a ship to the south, being that's where Titanic was, whom was firing white rockets. If smart enough, Captain Lord then would have instructed Officer Stone to go wake up Cyril Evans, the wire, wireless operator, and have him set up equipment where he could start talking to, to, to Titanic's wireless crew while Captain Lord would go about working up a plan of action and coming to, to the sinking liner's rescue. Gee, I really wished all of this could have been done. I wished Captain Lord had used... I wished he had used better common sense. I think it's fair to say that a lot of people wished he had. If anybody out there is on the side of Captain Lord, then all I can say is something's not right with that individual or individuals. Okay, so here, we're, here we are. We're going to continue with the what-if scenario here. Let's say Californian's captain had, had in fact gotten his act together. Let's say he had taken the advice of his officers below and now decides to pursue an immediate course of action to come to this mystery ship's rescue. Given Californian was surrounded by field ice, time itself required for getting ship back up to full speeds. Okay, so yes, it is going to take some time. Remember, it's not like taking car keys and starting your car and then uh, getting ready to back back up or uh, go forward and then go on with your um, with your uh, travel journey. So yes, time itself is required for getting the ship back up to full speed, being the 13 knots. Californian does have 10 miles of open water to cross, so she probably was at best 10 to 12 miles from Titanic. But just because she's ten just because she has ten miles of open water to cross, it's not a straight uh, twenty minute shot, folks. It's going to be about forty minutes of distance travel. Once arriving to forty one point forty six degrees longitude north, fifty point fourteen degrees latitude west, Californians officers and crews will get will see firsthand how dire Titanic's situation has become. It's probably fair to say by now that Californian's crew and officers would start seeing the ship, the ship's uh, hull coming out of the water and starting to break, and perhaps now seeing the ship splitting in two. Californian's crew shows signs of preparedness as Titanic's final moments become extremely violent, the hull breaking apart. 
given that she was not uh, designed to withstand all the flooding that had taken place in which exceeded over four watertight bulkhead compartments, the boiler rooms enduring massive flooding. So her hull has weakened and stressed to the point where it's now breaking apart. Okay. This inevitably led to the ship splitting in two. At 2.10 a.m., Titanic's last lifeboat was launched, which is true. The ship has minutes to live. The end is coming ever so close. Titanic's lifeboats make their way upon Californian. Californian's lifeboats. How many lifeboats do you think Californian had? Remember, she's not as big as Titanic. She's just over 500 feet long. Titanic's 882 feet long, about the, the length of, um, or the size of four city blocks, two and a half football fields. Californian only has six lifeboats, but given that she has six lifeboats, every good faith effort is being done to rescue Titanic survivors fighting for their lives in the frigid North Atlantic waters, given that water temperatures had gone below 30 degrees. Six lifeboats could handle altogether listen to this, folks. Californian six lifeboats altogether could handle 218 people. If each lifeboat got filled to capacity, folks, 218 divided into six is equals out to 36.3 or 37 people per lifeboat if filled to capacity. 37 times six, folks, 222. Why is the number 222 important? Okay, let's say all six lifeboats did fill Titanic survivors up to their fullest capacity. 222 lives from the Titanic would have been saved at minimum. That still leaves over 1,200 people dead, which is still a tragedy onto itself. It still would have made it the worst um, maritime uh, disaster at sea in time of peace, even if the fatality rate had been just over 1,200. Had Captain Lord heeded officer warnings, that is from the warnings from 2nd Officer Herbert Stone, uh, the apprentice officer, even 3rd uh, Officer Victor uh, Groves, who stayed on, including uh, Chief Officer George Stewart, had he, had Captain Stanley Lord heeded the officer warnings and made it in enough time to where Californian was able to rescue more Titanic passengers from icy waters, then every moral and legal obligation would have been met, despite not having saved everybody, but at least knowing that hundreds more were saved. This, in return, would have exonerated Captain Lord from the exact opposite, which happened, and what was the exact opposite? No course of action, inactivity, thousands left dead, 1,502 folks. So yes, okay, Californian, if she had come to the rescue and saved over 200 people's lives, being 222, he still would have been uh, considered a hero just for making an effort to, to save a few more hundred people's lives. 
and had 222 lives been saved, that would have um, raised the survivor, um, the survivor, uh, the, the overall number of survivors from 705 to 927. Was Californian Captain Stanley Lord condemned by both American and British inquiries into Titanic sinking? Well, I think that ought to be a no-brainer, but the answer is yes. He was condemned primarily due to his lack of empathy. Concern based upon sightings encountered by officers below whom repeatedly told him everything there was to provide information-wise which should have come across as being a red flag to the man commanding the vessel, being Captain Stanley Lord himself. Inquiries condemned Lord for such improper actions as not going himself into the room where the wireless operator was asleep. Basically, Captain Lord should have figured it out for himself that, oh, maybe I need to go wake up uh, Cyril Evans to tell him that, look, you're... Uh, Yes, you may have uh, called at a night at 11 o'clock, but I'm sorry to have to um, shorten your uh, sleep. We've got an emergency. We've got uh, what appears to be a pending emergency on our hands, and we don't want to be held liable for something that um, happened on our watch. So, yes, Captain Lord should have at least gone and um, awakened um, wireless operator Cyril Evans, but. <laughs> Another inquiry that condemned Captain Lord for such improper actions was also falsifying the log journal, or rather I should say the scrap log journal reports. We'll learn more here shortly about, about um, how serious it is to uh, falsify um, a log journal. One thing or element that cannot be changed, besides the fact that Titanic hit an iceberg, pertains to the mystery ship um, pertains pertains to the mystery ship nearby Californian being Titanic I mean into the in the eyes of Californian Titanic was the mystery ship and for Titanic that mystery ship was obviously Californian but yes one thing or element that can't be changed besides the fact Titanic hit an iceberg pertains to the mystery ship being Titanic nearby Californian had indeed launched multiple rockets into the evening sky. A desperate measure, which it was, whose objective would result in another ship not far by coming to the rescue, Californian. So, you know, it's one thing to be launching rockets into the sky, but this is not for entertainment purposes, folks. We're not celebrating, you know, what would appear to be like a July 4th holiday. We're not celebrating, a, you know, a cookout with a bang. This is a matter of life and death. So, yes, Captain Stanley Lord can deny all he want about the rockets. But the bottom line is, is that if the officers below him saw rockets being launched, they're not going to lie about it. You know... If I was an officer on the Californian, would I have gone and told Captain Lord everything I saw? Absolutely. This way I could at least be exonerated knowing that, okay, I did everything there was to my power in, in warning this guy 
being my captain, about what was taking place ten miles away, and yet my captain didn't do anything. Basically, my captain abandoned his own crew in terms of not even coming to the defense of his own crew. To me, that's a to me that's traitorous. But that's me. Eight white rockets launched in the hours after midnight of April 15, 1912. That alone could not go away, no matter how hard Captain Lord adamantly denied the reports of them being spotted per officers below him. The scariest of realities centered upon countless people left stranded in the North Atlantic waters, whose pleas, cries for help went unheard, meaning Captain Lord's inactions cost the lives of over 1,500 people. Had, had Captain Lord himself shown more alertness, then maybe a few hundred people's lives could have been spared. Well, didn't we talk earlier about how that, that what-if what scenario had Captain Lord gotten uh, his act together and planned out a course of action and getting to the uh, Titanic in enough time to where uh, a few more hundred people's lives would have been saved? Yeah, if he had done all that, then yes, if he had gotten there in enough time and, and actually heeded his officer's his officers below in terms of their warnings, yeah, we would have been looking at at least 100 to 200 more people's lives saved. But sadly, that didn't happen. While it is fair to label Captain Stanley Lord as being self-centered to manipulative, why did he choose insensitive, ins insensitivity versus coming to the assistance amongst thousands pleading for their lives? Why, what is it about Captain Stanley Lord? I mean, there has to be something about this guy that is, uh, that is just not right. I mean, yes, his actions do uh, demonstrate self-centeredness. His actions do uh, demonstrate uh, lack of compassion, empathy. But there has to be something internally wrong with this guy that that many people on land have never seen before. I'm beginning to wonder if Captain Stanley Lord is someone who may claim to be real in person when he's not at work in terms of uh, being out on the waters, but yet when he's out on the waters, I'm beginning to wonder if he is the complete opposite. Well, Captain Lord had character flaws, or perhaps personal issues, which simply weren't able to be fully detected in 1912. Yes, there were psychiatrists around in 1912, but not everybody went to psychiatrists. For the most part, if there was a problem, you more than likely were able to take care of it at home. Sadly, uh, at one time, uh, even in the early part of the 20th century, I, th I think it's fair to say that people, most people frowned upon psychiatrists. I don't, I'm not sure why, but I think it's probably fair to say that they did. Um, but we do have to keep in mind that, that whatever issues were going on in, in a family's home or in someone's um, life, I, I guess they just took care of it as best as they could. But, but nonetheless, uh, yes, Captain Lord has a 
has personal issues that obviously were not fully detected in 1912, but it is fair to say that Stanley Lord had no inner feelings. You know, inner feelings, okay? Um, empathy, um, con you know, general levels of concern, um, respect, um, you know, happiness, you know, sadness, how to demonstrate your sadness when someone else is going through a troubling time. So if Captain Lord has no inner feelings, that is a conscience, that should tell us right there that he really has no true separation with regards to understanding the difference between right and wrong. No understanding of um, showing remorse, regret, guilt. The events of April 14th uh, to the 15th of 1912 revealed Stanley Lord's darkest personal sides, character traits. Captain Lord had become a sociopath. That's a strong word, folks, but author Daniel Allen Butler revealed in this book that Captain Lord truly, in fact, was a sociopath, and I totally agree with um, Daniel Allen Butler 100% and beyond. So what best defines someone as being a sociopath? Now, to best answer this question, we're going to have to... Um, we're going to have to um, we're going to have to pretend as if we are psychiatrists, and our patient is none other none other than good old Captain Stanley Lord. For starters, an individual can, could demonstrate personality issues, you know, personality uh, disorder, where they appear happy one minute and then fly off the handle without any warning, but yet fail to catch or correct themselves from preventing the same mishaps. Therefore, for the person whom has um, appeared to be nice one minute and then flies off the handle the next minute and doesn't, um, doesn't tell the individual who uh, witnessed it or felt the impact, oh, I'm sorry for my actions, I should not have lashed out like that, to me, that's, to me it would be a red flag there because the individual who engaged in the improper uh, behavior could now turn around and say, well, that wasn't my fault. It wasn't my fault that I lashed out. I had every reason to. But it's everybody else's fault for why it happened. Another uh, factor that defines uh, someone as a sociopath um, could pertain to um, an individual being deceitful, where a person tells a set of lies for personal gain. Well, Captain Lord, I think it's fair to say we've learned that Captain Lord uh, lied to uh, newspaper reporters up in Boston. You know, he said one thing, but yet at the hearings in uh, Washington, um, New well, they start out in New York, but in Washington, and then of course he um, came before the um, before Lord uh, Mersey with the um, British inquiry in, Lon in uh, London, he um, demonstrated deceitfulness there too. Uh, it's fair to say that he would have told uh, reporters in London one thing, only to say the exact opposite at the uh, British inquiry. Third, uh, being manipulative, where someone controls those below to where their views or findings have no meaning. Well, Captain Lord uh, manipulated his officers below him. Lastly, failure to plan ahead for anything unforeseeable 
including consequences at stake if the matters at hand are so bad to where it involves, say, more than one person. In the case with the, with the ship on the horizon that's acting strange, this is no um, ordinary little ship, folks. This isn't, um, a, this isn't a little uh, piece of watercraft marine out there. This is the world's largest ocean vessel, 882 feet long with, over 20, with just over 2,200 passengers. So we're now talking hundreds, if not thousands of people. Thousands of people, I should say. So for Captain Lord, when he was given these warnings... It shouldn't have made a difference just how many people could have been out on that ship on, along the horizon. The bottom line is, he didn't have a plan for anything unforeseeable. Well, maybe he could have, but he chose not to. So, a failure to plan ahead for anything unforeseeable, including consequences at stake if they involve hundreds, if not thousands of people, what does that say? It, it, it should tell us right there that... Um, that Stanley Lord has so many um, problems, personal problems that best exemplify him being a sociopath. Those whom are sociopaths tend to care only about themselves, including what best benefits them as the individual. Yeah, Captain Stanley Lord, he... Remember, he's not interested in what the officers below are reporting to him. All he cares about are... Uh, what are, what are the rockets like out there? Uh, what color are they? Big whoopity do about the color. If there's a white rocket firing up into the sky, that should tell you right there that a ship is facing some kind of imminent danger. Lack of capacity for demonstrating compassion to taking responsibility for improper actions to accepting their own fault, aka guilt are all examples behind why those like Stanley Lord, who are sociopaths, tend to care only about themselves, including what best benefits them as the individual. The first clue or indicator into Captain Lord's uh, sociopathic behavior unfolded when 2nd Officer Herbert Stone confirmed seeing white rockets getting fired by the ship to the south being Titanic, the white rockets are a sign or an indicator which ought to have meant that a master, or let alone a captain, ought to investigate into what's going on with the ship, showing some form of distress. Remember that, folks. Any, you know, when a, Back in 1912, if, if you're out on the waters and you see a ship launching white rockets from a distance, do not automatically assume it's entertainment purposes. That is a sign of distress, meaning that something is about to happen to a ship that could result in great loss of life. Do not assume anything. Captain Lord knew 2nd Officer Stone uh, didn't have much to fall back on regarding decision-making, but instead he should have awakened Cyril Evans, the wireless operator, who could have gotten a better read on Titanic's condition, which would have uh, forced Captain Lord to take some form of instant action. Action alone was what Captain Lord wanted to avoid altogether. Considering, for a sociopath like Lord himself, 
Stanley Lord didn't want to be placed in a position involving matters of life and death. It's, it could be very well fair to say that even Captain Lord himself doesn't like conflict. So the best way to avoid conflict is, is to even ignore those below whom are reporting something that, yes, is uncomfortable to report, but yet it has to be addressed, but yet Captain Stanley Lord just doesn't want to hear any of it, anything of it. Refusing um, to accept confirmation of rocket sightings from 2nd Officer Stone to not waking up wireless operator Cyril Evans meant that Lord himself wasn't concerned about the welfare of what his crew sighted to what lied at stake for the ship on the horizon. Although Californian did stop for the night, it was all because of an open ice field that lied in the ship's path. Now, on the other hand, I can give, that's the only thing I can really even give Captain Lord credit for. At least he was smart enough to stop his ship uh, before it uh, encountered trouble. Because I do have a feeling that if he uh, tried to um, outmaneuver the ice field or tried to um, take some other turn, that he probably would have um, hit uh, some uh, ice and it would have caused some kind of damage to his ship. Maybe not the same kind of damage that sadly um, got Titanic, but it would have caused some damage. And gee, you have to wonder if Captain Lord had done the opposite to where his ship had hit ice. Don't think for one second that he would have wanted someone out on the horizon to come to his rescue. At least we hope. <laughs> Never know sometimes about some people as history has uh, shown us, especially now. Now, um, yes, Captain Lord did stop for the night because of the ice field that lied in his ship's path. However, you know, Captain Lord did this because he didn't want to risk jeopardizing his ship's safety, despite knowing another ship nearby showed signs of distress launching white rockets. It makes no sense. You stop your ship for the night, but yet if you are, but if this mystery ship is 10 miles away, by golly, Captain Lord ought to be smart enough to know that he could have drawn up a course of action that would have allowed his ship to have steered clear of making way through the ice field to where he could have um, made it 10 miles, 40 minutes. He could have done it. He just chose not to. And look with the consequences. Look at the consequences that ensued. Chief Officer George Stewart awakened Cyril Evans from his sleep regarding the mystery ship firing multiple rockets after midnight, the first being at 12.50 a.m. April 15th. Captain Lord never once bothered to awaken Cyril Evans. Captain Lord's actions alone fit the criteria for recklessness regarding the safety of others, being that of Titanic's crew and passengers. Another indication behind Lord's sociopathic behavior involved his denying Titanic had sunk. And here is something he said in quotes that, that did um, get mentioned from a previous uh, podcast not long ago. Podcast segment, I should say. Captain Lord said this in quotes. This won't do. You must get me a better position. Captain Lord was clearly aware inside of the nearby ship's vicinity, but couldn't face reality behind what just unfolded, being Titanic's sinking.
Captain Lord was very, very insistent on proclaiming to those uh, newspaper reporters in Boston that, oh, we were about 20 to 30 miles away. There was no way we could have uh, gotten to her. Only to say the opposite at, at the inquiries in Washington and London, uh, we were probably no more than maybe 10, 15 miles. What does that tell you right there? The guy is, Captain Lord is nothing more than a, a two-faced liar. Sounds strong, but it's true. Is falsifying a log entry, which Captain Lord did in fact commit a serious offense? I think we all ought to say yes, and the answer is yes. It's considered to be the most inappropriate of any offense a captain himself could commit. But only someone who's credulous to where they have a great sense of eagerness in believing just about anything would do the exact opposite in denying that Captain Lord wasn't responsible for altering his ship's logbook. And there are some people out there in terms of skeptics or, you know, authors who have said that, you know, we can't shift all the blame on Captain Stanley Lord. Well, they may be entitled to their own opinion, but they're not entitled to their own facts. Remember that, folks. Um, if anybody was uh, quoted as saying that, it was uh, the late Senator Daniel Patrick Moynihan of New York. He said the following, One is entitled to their own opinion, but they're not entitled to their own facts. Both inquiries, uh, U.S. and Britain, both agree that Stanley Lord's um, deceitfulness went into full swing where his story changed significantly between Boston and Washington, including Washington and London. Here we go. Captain Lord said at first he never physically saw the other ship, but later recalled how he saw firsthand the ship, being Titanic, come up within four miles of us. To me, that's all a bunch of bull. Captain Lord told the Boston press he hadn't seen any rockets or signals of any type on the evening of April 15th, but did reveal to Senator William Alden Smith of Michigan that 2nd Officer Stone had revealed to him the presence of rocket firings from the ship to the south. This is just absolutely um, despicable. How someone of his demeanor, or have, of someone of his rank, let alone, could stoop so low and be so ignorant, so hateful, so unsympathetic. How in the world could someone of his rank and status as a captain be allowed to um, be in charge of a vessel, regardless of its size? It just makes no sense. But remember, folks, even in 1912, there were people in top-level positions whom were, who we could say were uh, double-faced people. In other words, they might have been nice outside of the workplace, but when it came to being in the workplace, they were the exact opposite. Maybe it's fair to say Stanley Lord could be a great example of so close but so far away, and I'm beginning to wonder that. 
Whereas every other witness from both investigations, uh, that is, uh, the United States and Britain's uh, inquiry investigations, provided accurate or consistent testimony, Captain Stanley Lord was the only witness whom greatly altered his version of events. And that ought to come as a no-brainer. Lord told the Boston Press, in quotes, If I got to Washington. What does that mean? Is Lord trying to threaten um, those in Washington that I might not even come? Possibly. But remember, by the time he's already told the Boston Press, if I go to Washington, he's already been served with a subpoena. Had Captain Lord, the only other smart thing he did was that he actually accepted the subpoena. What would have happened if he had failed to accept the subpoena? It would have led to his arrest by U.S. Marshals and, and he would have appeared before Senate, Senator Smith's subcommittees in shackles. Shackles where he would have been cuffed um, on his ankles or by his wrists. And on one hand, if maybe it would have been better for him to have uh, declined accepting the subpoena because I'm beginning to wonder if that had been the case, then maybe he would have actually been tried for some form of crime on the waters. Another element behind one becoming a sociopath is having defiance towards all things authority, which Captain Lord demonstrated. And prior to Titanic sinking, it should be important to note that Captain Lord was not a commander who inspired loyalty. But instead, he inspired fear. He didn't display open rages, but rather showed internal emotions which led to his having a deep state of unhappiness. So think about it, folks. You may not always have to, one doesn't have to go on a tirade to express their anger. They can show anger inside, and yet everybody else around them would never know it. But it is unfortunate that Captain Lord was um, someone who um, did the exact opposite. He uh, promoted fear rather than inspired loyalty. What ought to be considered the most uh, compelling of Captain Lord's sociopathic behavior, or of his sociopathic behaviors, given that he's demonstrated more than one? The lack of never once expressing any ounce of remorse or regret for his inactivity during the early hours after midnight on April 15, 1912. He never uttered one word of condolence to any family whom lost loved ones aboard Titanic. Now, 21 Titanic survivors out of 82 witnesses whom testified to the United States Senate were there, and never once did Captain Lord come up to any of those uh, Titanic survivors to express his condolences. But I can only imagine that... I can only imagine what words those Titanic survivors would have uh, said to him if they had had the opportunity. It would have been, it would not have been pleasant, but rightfully so. But I can only imagine just how much anger those Titanic survivors would have had, knowing that for many of them they lost loved ones or saw others right in front of them die. Seeing uh, if they were in that one lifeboat that went back to ret to search for survivors, knowing that only three were pulled out of the water. To me, I think uh, Captain Stanley Lord and uh, J. Bruce Ismay have a lot in common. 
you know, Bruce Ismay should never have um, gotten on a lifeboat. And even there, even those, there were plenty of reporters who said Bruce Ismay was dubbed the coward of the Titanic. Well, so yes, Captain Lord never uttered a word of condolences to any family whom lost loved ones aboard Titanic. And he also was unable to express what could have been done differently. The matter before Captain Lord wasn't about whether he was guilty guilty of the actions brought against him. Instead, it was simply not. Instead, it was simply him not being able to capably um, admit anything wrong. In other words, not one ounce of expressing sorrow for being for admitting my um, failures. Nothing, no admittance of fault or um, improper wrongdoing. Although Captain Lord was never tried or convicted of any offenses, his career in the transatlantic trade was never the same. For one, he got removed by the Leland Line come August of 1912, four months after Titanic's sinking. But ironically, in 1913, Stanley Lord got on with Nitrate Producers Steamship Company, thanks to a director from the Leland Line whom believed Lord himself was improperly treated by the public at large. What do you know? Someone high above in the Leland Line felt too much sorrow for Captain Stanley Lord that he went above and beyond to see to it that Lord got a job elsewhere. Oh, I I can't imagine what the look on my face would have been if I had known that person who actually went out of his way to help Stanley Lord. I would have done everything there was in my power to have kept my distance. It's amazing sometimes what people will do for others that they probably shouldn't do knowing just how much um, insensitivity the individual has caused, especially with Stanley Lord knowing that over 1,500 people's lives were lost. Yes, knowing that, okay, maybe he couldn't have saved every one of those 1,500 people, but knowing that he could have saved at least 200 people at best could have made somewhat of a better difference, but sadly that was not in his uh, interest. Well, for Captain Stanley Lord, well, I don't know if he was considered even captain anymore, but Stanley Lord uh, worked at Nitrate Producers until March of 1927 when he stepped down due to health reasons. He was a married man with a son. His wife died in 1957. He spent the last four and a half years of his life trying to clear himself of all wrongdoing, but came nowhere close, which was probably a good thing. He died on January 24th, 1962. 60 years ago, folks. He died at the age of 84. Four years before uh, Stanley Lord died in 1958, um, a movie came out called A Night to Remember. It was based off of um, Walter Lord's uh, book that he had written in 1955, A Night to Remember. Luckily, there's no relation between Walter and Stanley Lord. It should be uh, worth noting that Walter Lord uh, died back in the early 2000s. He was in his late 80s, close to 90 years old. But uh, the movie in 1958, A Night to Remember, was essentially the first uh, movie that was ever done on Titanic, at least a good 40 years before James Cameron's uh, blockbuster hit. Stanley Lord never saw this movie, but his son, Stanley Tutton Lord, did and expressed bitterness behind how his own, behind how his own dad got treated after Titanic's sinking. 
1959 saw the young Stanley take action in getting his dad's name cleared from all records pertaining to the disaster. And after Captain Lord's passing in 1962, young Stanley kept at it with trying in vain to clear his old man's name until 1994, the year he died at age 86. Stanley Tutton Lord was a bachelor his entire life. He was the only child of Captain Stanley Lord. The elder Lord, he might have come across as kind-hearted when around family. But in a time of crisis, his greatest undoings resulted in the loss of thousands of innocent people whom didn't deserve to die. Yes, Titanic Yes, Titanic uh, was given multiple ice warnings, one of them being by the Californian. Yes, Titanic was um, reckless in terms of going 21 knots. Yes, Titanic should have um, changed her speed well before seeing an iceberg. There are a lot of what-ifs that Titanic could have done differently to have avoided a disaster on her end. But the sad part is, is that 1,500 other people didn't need to die. Californian could have come to this um, ship's rescue. Stanley Lord should have been the one to have seized it. His crew below him, being the officers I mentioned, did everything there was, except for that one mistake, not getting Cyril Evans, uh, waking him up sooner. But the bottom line is that uh, Captain Stanley Lord chose being a sociopath and chose all things opposite of being a leader. He chose ignorance. And there is a phrase called ignorance is bliss. It was um, it evolved after a man named Dr. Willard Bliss had uh, treated President James Garfield, whom was uh, shot by Charles Gateau. Long story short, the medical profession killed James Garfield. And uh, Dr. Bliss and his team of doctors kept probing President Garfield left and right in vain, hoping they could find the bullet that, um, that got him. But sadly, they killed President Garfield's immune system to where he ultimately died. Charles Gateau responded back right, as, right before he, was, right before he uh, got executed by saying to the judge, I shot the president, but you all killed him, being the medical profession. So for uh, Captain Stanley Lord, his actions, to me, exemplified the famous phrase, ignorance is bliss. It's one thing to be ignorant, but if someone enjoys being ignorant and doesn't express any ounce of remorse for their continuous actions of all things ignorance, it tells us right away that that person has no heart. That person has no understanding of what's right and wrong. That person has no inner feelings. Captain Stanley Lord, folks, was a man of no inner feelings. We can say that, yes, people could say he might have been nice around family, and that's fine. But he betrayed countless innocent people whom didn't need to die. Even if it meant saving 200 or 300, he still would have been considered a hero just for doing that. But he chose the opposite. What a sad way to go about living life. Well, we've covered a lot of ground, and uh, when I'm on the air again next, we're going to be at the epilogue. We've made it to the end, and we're going to learn more about those whom um, 
like uh, Captain Arthur Rostron of Carpathia, whom we've already learned a great deal about, but we're going to learn what uh, what the rest of his life entailed after uh, rescuing uh, Titanic, for example, or, or after uh, saving the survivors of the Titanic. Thank you for your time, as always, and thank you for being such ardent listeners. Uh, thank you again. Um, take care. <laughs>